Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today's episode is brought to you by Rogue Amoeba, Headspace, Wondery Business Movers Podcast, and Streak. You'll hear about those in a moment. And joining me for our very first published video version of the podcast is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Uh, I'm going to try and not be awkward and stare blankly into the camera <laughs> like Mark Zuckerberg the whole time. You know, this is new for us. So if you're listening to the podcast as it comes out, we are doing a video version as well. So you can hop over to YouTube and watch this episode of the podcast. But we're trying. We're going to try video. I'm going to be showing images like from the Apple Insider website and showing our sponsors and all that kind of stuff. So it should be fun over there. And you'll get to see us as we as we talk. So this is our first deal trying it. So any grace from those watching on YouTube would be much appreciated. Well, first of all, I did want to plug, we did an interview with Halide, the makers of Halide, which is Lux Camera, Sebastian DeWitt, Ben Sandowski, and Rebecca Slatkin. There was a special interview episode. It's the last one in the feed. So you should check that out. That is also on YouTube. If you'd like to watch it, you can see all of them talking together on a sofa and me. So that was a fun episode to do. I'll put a link in show notes to that. And there's been a couple videos that have gone up on the Apple Insider YouTube channel. And so I encourage you to check those out. One of the ones I actually did was the live translate feature that's coming in iPad OS 15, which is really cool. It's the translate app is now on the iPad and iPad OS 15. And one of the options is this conversation feature where you and someone else can sit side by side or across from each other. And the microphone will automatically listen to you and it will translate live both languages. It'll recognize what language is being spoken. It will show the text and it will also speak the translation as well. So it's a pretty cool feature. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, Wes, but uh, it was a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, I saw the video exist, but sadly I have not got to watch it yet. <laughs> but uh, it definitely looks like a really cool feature. Yeah. I, I feel like this will be really nice once we get to really start traveling. And I know there's only a few languages available, but it should be helpful at least to find the bathroom or something. Absolutely. And when you do see it, it actually stars my mom because she's fluent in Spanish and she's the one that actually joined me on the video. And I thought that yeah, was Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so very kind comments on YouTube about my mom, which I was glad. I was like, this is our YouTube debut, you know? But everyone was very kind, so thank you. But also... Podcast subscriptions are now live. This is part of the news this week. It was delayed. Apple said it was going to happen in May. Then they said June. But on June 15th, it officially launched. And so we have an Apple Insider channel now where you can actually find the Apple Insider podcast, HomeKit Insider, and Apple Insider Daily all in one place. And we have a subscription. We actually lowered the price of the subscription. It will hit Apple Podcasts on Saturday, June 19th. But we changed the Patreon as well. So $5 now a month gets you ad-free episodes and early access to those episodes as well. You get them kind of Thursday evening time. And so if you don't want to wait, you can actually do that. But it'll be $5 on Apple Podcasts and Patreon. I will say the Apple Podcasts like dashboard for podcast creators, it is still a little strange to do early access episodes. You have to upload a file directly in the Apple Podcasts creator portal. And hopefully you have the episode number matches the RSS public release and Apple will kind of match it up. Not, it's an imperfect system. And you also can only upload wave or FLAC files, which no other podcast hosting service makes you upload like a wave or FLAC. So it's, it's kind of weird on the back end, but it's there. And it's cool that it launched, so you can check that out. We'll put links in the show notes to all of that. The Apple Podcast app is still kind of broken. You can't click links. HTML formatting still doesn't work. Which, Wes, are you on the Apple Podcast app, or have you tried something else now? 
Well, sadly, <laughs> I've switched back to Apple Podcasts because, as is tradition, when uh, WWDC happens and Apple announces a bunch of fun new updates, I have to test all of their apps, and one of them is Apple Podcasts, and it's terrible, but I'm living with it. Um, yeah. It's better than it used to be. You have a lot more control over uh, some of the menu items I've noticed since last yeah. time I've used it, like uh, being able to sort the, the latest episodes, but I definitely hate that if you're listening to podcasts in order, which all of the podcasts I listen to are topical. So they're all, you know, weekly episodes or something like that. It's, it's stuff I want to listen to as they come out. But when a new episode comes in, it pushes that one, that old episode out and uh, Mm. out of order. So I have no way to manually order my listening unless I create a playlist. So that's definitely my biggest issue with Apple podcasts and why I might return to overcast. I don't really miss the time. uh, What is that called? Smart speed. He has that thing. Yeah. Smart speed. Yeah, yeah, I don't really miss that as much as I thought I would. And it is nice being able to hear like the theme songs and stuff in the normal speed, you know. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's it's definitely been weird. I don't really understand what Apple's deal has been here with the last few weeks of podcasts being so kind of broken. I jumped in yeah. after WWDC, so apparently things were getting better. But yeah, there's still a lot of work Apple could do to make the podcast app a lot better. It's just so weird that it should be their bread and butter, and it's right. basically ignored at this point. So part of the other news this week in podcast, podcast. Well, one, Spotify landed another exclusive, the show Call Her Daddy, which is a Barstool Sports podcast. They are now another Spotify exclusive. And again, you won't have to pay for it, but you'll have to listen in the Spotify app. And I would still prefer open podcasts available in any app and having to use the Apple Podcast app to listen than these exclusives. But Spotify, they must be paying a ton of money to get all these names. So Caller Daddy is going to be an exclusive. And then also this week, Facebook announced that they're going to bring podcasting to the Facebook platform. Unclear. It's not going to be publicly available. They're like inviting certain pages, business pages to participate, but they said you'll be able to give them your RSS URL and they will pull in episodes and automatically post them to your page. But then there's also some weird like terms and conditions that they can use some of that content for their own content generation. And so I don't know the fact that it's Facebook. I'm very leery about that. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, this was something that was announced a few weeks ago, I believe, when they were coming out with some new audio things, uh, clubhouse competitors, audio recordings that you could save to your profile, all that stuff still rolling out. But the podcast thing was a big part of it. And I don't like any of it. I don't see why Facebook needs to be everything. I mean, they're already the biggest social network on earth. They're in every country on the planet. Basically, if you have an internet connection, you probably have Facebook at this point. And that's terrible. I I mean, I wish I didn't have to have one, but all of my family, uh, most of them are over 50. That's the only way they communicate anymore. And I don't have it on my phone. I don't have the apps. I go through the browser, but even that just feels icky. I would prefer just like nuke it and block it with a content blocker and never go there again. But uh, yeah, the podcast thing, I don't see how that would even be a good listening experience with where, yeah. like, where are you going to listen to the podcast in the Facebook app? And then it gets to do like background audio too. Like it, it would be able to just kind of run in the background. If you were, if you, you know, started a podcast playing, it could just go in. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, it was discovered that Facebook was using the background audio API to play like a silent track. So the app could stay active in the background, which yeah, again, just one of the many creepy things. Closing. Yeah, yeah. One of the many creepy things that, that Facebook does. So I, I tweeted with the Admiral Akbar, it's a trap, you know, because I just, I'm not sure what they're going to be doing with this. So speaking of podcast stuff, you've been listening to anything new lately? I wanted to bring up one. Any new podcasts? Yeah. 
Uh, well, I have been. One of them is our sponsors this week, but which one are you talking well, about? Well, I need to actually look because the name escapes me uh, right this second. And see, this is again, this is the, the problem with Apple Podcasts. I can't find anything. <laughs> like, I, I've listened to all the episodes, so of course now I can't find it. Right. It's, it. It may as well not exist. Okay. Okay. So, fans of Mythic Quest, there is a new oh. uh, podcast hosted by uh, some of the actors in the show, and it's really fun. Like, I don't like scripted podcasts. Uh, like I don't listen to those murder shows or anything. That's right, right, right. it's all seems silly to me. Like entertainment shows, like I'll watch television. Thanks. You know, but I listen to a lot of friends talking to each other, uh, tech podcast, right, stuff like right. that. And for whatever reason, this kind of fits into that. It's about mythic quests. The crit, like the, uh, sometimes the showrunners on there, the actors are talking about the show, but, they're also interacting as if they were friends. The show's called Questy Besties. It's as corny <laughs> as you think it is. Very, very corny, but very funny. And uh, funny. like they talk about a lot of the background stuff, how they got hired, the roles that they uh, auditioned for, just a lot of really fun, silly stories That's there. Cool. And if you like the show at all, it's, it's worth listening to. All right. Very cool. We'll put a link to that in show notes as well. That sounds fun. So one of the leaks that happened this past week was John Prosser. Again, he had some images and cat files of a supposed iPad mini six. And this is going to be a refresh design like the iPad Air and the iPad Pro, one of those flat edge designs with the touch ID button and all that. And we've actually had a number of listeners kind of asking, have you heard anything about the iPad mini six? There's a niche audience that likes the iPad mini, likes the form factor. And so that's what this leak kind of really shows. And so if you're on YouTube, again, you'll be seeing this, or if you're listening, look at the chapter art and we'll use this as the, the photo. But the iPad mini six, it looks basically like a shrunken down iPad Air and you know the same size screen, but just smaller body because it'll have this new design, USB-C port, Touch ID. And there was this other rumor that there was going to be that redesigned Apple Pencil because the iPad Mini 6 has that smaller edge and the current iPad Pencil would be, I guess, longer than the side of the iPad or like awkwardly long. So John Prosser thinks maybe they'll also have a smaller Apple Pencil as like a third gen design, which that feels not like something Apple would do. I don't know why they would have a small Apple Pencil and a large one with the exact same functionality, just size difference and then someone might buy the wrong one by accident i don't know how they would do that but i don't know wes are you interested in a new ipad mini redesign like this absolutely like uh if this comes out i'll buy it day one <laughs> i i love the ipad mini i love the form factor and this just means it's even smaller with the same size if not slightly bigger display i love it that's great like yeah. give me all the screen i can get and the smallest thing i can get and slip it into a, a pocket you know i mean my eyes are still fine but they, <laughs> i don't want to stare at a phone all day you know if I'm at home, a tablet's fine, but I also don't want to lug around a 13-inch iPad either. Right. Uh, I just feel like this is like that perfect middle ground. It's good for reading. It's good for just that nice little iPad experience. It's yeah. it's kind of like what the iPad was to me in like, you know, 2013, 2014. The one app at a time display. I'm not using it to work from. I'm not using it as anything complex, but it kind of just brings back that nice tablet experience. Yeah. The thing about this uh, leak is they're, they're going all out here, you know, new Apple Pencil, Apple Pencil Mint. Mini, right. USB-C port, you know, I mean, might as well throw mini LED in there. It, it's <laughs> crazy. Well, my thing is now that I have a 12.9 inch iPad, I do miss the portability of the 11 inch. You know, I, I've, I'm used to the 12.9 now, so it doesn't feel gigantic, but it is larger in some of my bags and backpacks. It definitely is a tighter fit in some of those instances. Right. But sometimes when I think about reading something, I actually found, because we've been moving and all this kind of stuff, I found an old Kindle Paperwhite that I had, 
And I turned it on and I was like, man, this thing is so light and small and is really just perfect for reading. Not only the e-ink screen, just the size and weight and all that together. And I was like, I don't enjoy reading on my 12.9 inch iPad. It's just really heavy and it's big. I would almost rather read on my iPhone. You know, I don't read on any other device, but an iPad mini, I mean, it would be a little crazy. I mean, you, you're sitting with two iPads in front of you, so maybe this is not crazy, but to, you know, right. to have an hey, iPad the, just for The reading. iPad Air over here on one yeah. side and the iPad Pro on the other, it's, it's, it's madness. <laughs> His iPad's all the way down. But you know, to have an iPad just for reading and maybe for some portability, I don't know. And there's also in the leak, it's John Prosser thinks they will have a smart connector on the back, which could be for a variety of reasons. But, you know, I don't think- Could you imagine a keyboard? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, would they do a keyboard for an iPad mini? I can't imagine they would. I mean, that would be a tight keyboard. Right. So- yeah, I, I can't imagine them doing that. But for reading... Maybe the yeah. keyboard's a touchscreen and you swipe through one letter at a time, <laughs> you know? Maybe like, you know, Apple yeah. TV style. Yeah, that's it. It's definitely interesting, like, uh, back to the Apple Pencil thing. I think that it's possible that Apple could come out with two sizes of uh, pencil just because artists... I Like, okay, I'm, I'm just making it up, I guess. But, like, in my head, I have it that, like, artists would prefer maybe the larger pencil, especially on the, uh, the larger iPads, but right. maybe for something like a notepad for note taking, and you're just doing regular handwriting, right. that little, a, t- a tiny little pencil that could attach to the side magnetically would be perfect. And the big I- Apple pencil would probably get a little unwieldy at that point. That's true. Le- leaker, uh, Dan Rui. Is that, is that right? It's the guy, sure. it's one of the Twitter, the several Twitter people. Yeah. Uh, he shared images a while back of a shorter, fatter Apple pencil that looks, you know, kind of like the modern one, but flat side, a little more rounded off, kind of like it borrowed the design of both Gen 1 and Gen 2 pencils and combined it into one. I can see that, you know, just just a little stubbier than now. It doesn't have to be that much shorter to make sense. But then again, of course, a shorter Apple Pencil is going to bring back the rumor of Apple Pencil for iPhone, which eh, could happen. Yeah, Um, probably. I think that would be a far off in the future. But I will say, as you're talking about the pencil, if someone takes notes with an Apple Pencil on their iPad, that's not something I typically do. I might mark up like a PDF for a a graphic with the Apple Pencil, but I'm not typically a handwritten note taker. But if someone is, I could definitely see the iPad mini with that new Apple Pencil being that niche product where they would take notes on it, handwritten notes, because that's what they prefer, that they do their reading on it. And if you're a commuter or do any kind of traveling and you want to watch something on a screen that's not 13 inches on train or whatever, you know, the iPad mini is that really nice device. Pricing wise, if it's the iPad Air design, we have to remember that there's the regular iPad, which comes in at $329. $329. The iPad Air starts at $499, $500. So it would, I think, be a little weird, but it would have to fall into that like $400 range. Well, that's where the iPad mini falls currently, isn't it? Right. It's never been a cheap device. And a lot of people conflate size with price. Just because it's smaller doesn't make it cheaper, especially because right. the 329 iPad is bare minimum specs. It's, it's, it's basically what, the A12? And it doesn't have the new display technologies. It's right. still got Touch ID, like... But in lightning yeah. it's supposed to be the cheapest possible combination of tech right. yeah the ipad mini is going to be smaller but it's still going to be almost as expensive as an ipad air i would say yeah that 350 to 400 range would be would be perfect for this device yeah but of course it's going to be 64 gigs right minimum storage so right might as well bump that up to you know 500 bucks but <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think i'll get it i don't think i'll have three ipads i'll i'll, I'll sell off the air or something <laughs> I, I just i really do like having that smaller ipad mini around before the iPad Air release last year, I actually was 12.9 inch iPad Pro and 
iPad Mini 5. Oh, okay. And that was nice. It was just, you know, I got tired of looking at a Touch ID button, you know, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to jump on the Air redesign. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break and I'm going to thank a couple of our sponsors here. Our first sponsor is Rogue Amoeba, the makers of Loopback and Audio Hijack. You've heard me talk about Loopback before. It's one of their awesome pieces of software that allows you to combine hardware inputs and audio from different apps on your Mac, and you can make virtual sound devices to use that in things like Zoom or Skype or FaceTime. So let's say you're recording a podcast and you're doing Skype with someone and you want to be able to play music from Apple Music and both of you hear it. Well, you can do that with Loopback. You can combine your mic input with the Apple Music app audio, create a virtual sound device and use that in the Skype app. And then the other person can hear both things. They can hear you talking and the music just like you are on your computer, which is awesome. And the other app from Rogue Amoeba that I highly recommend is Audio Hijack. I'm literally using it right now and I use it every single week when I record any of my podcasts. Audio Hijack, it's a powerful utility for recording any kind of audio from your Mac from individual applications like Safari, Skype, or Zoom, which I'm doing Skype right now, and hardware audio devices like microphones, mixers, and all that. And you can actually pair them really well together, Audio Hijack plus Loopback. You can create those virtual sound devices in Loopback and then use them in Audio Hijack. And Audio Hijack also has tools to make your microphone sound better or the other person sound better with levels and EQ and effects. And then what I really love Audio Hijack for is all the different recording functions it can do. It can record this microphone that I'm speaking into right now. Plus it can record the Skype guest on the other side in their own channel. And you can record in all different formats, MP3, AAC. And it's just such a powerful application. I love using them both together and they're easy to use with your VoIP client, Skype, FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. Make your call sound better and have powerful recording tools at your fingertips. So you can download free trials of both Loopback and Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba's site. You can do that at macaudio.com slash insider21. So macaudio.com slash insider21. And then when you're ready to buy it, and trust me, you will love both of these applications. Listeners, you can save 21% off Loopback Audio Hijack and even the already discounted bundle, Loopback and Audio Hijack together with the coupon code INSIDER21. So INSIDER21, use that promo code, and you can download those free trials at macaudio.com slash INSIDER21. So our thanks to Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring this episode and Headspace. Now, you might have heard me talk about Headspace before, but it is a pocket-sized guide that can help you sleep, focused, and just be better. Even if you just have 10 minutes, Headspace can really change your life. And it's something that I use personally, have used in the past and for a long time. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation is, Headspace really can help you make you feel better. If you feel overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation that you can use. If you need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. So I'll be honest, when I flew 
more often before the pandemic, I actually had a little bit of fear of flying and they have a specific fear of flying section in the app. And I would do those sessions before I would get on the plane and it really helped me. And then those sessions for kids, I've actually done that with my own kids. It can help them with focus and attention or just maybe dealing with anxiety. They have special sessions just for that. And me and my kids really love to do it together. Some of the newer features is you can choose different voices with some of the different sessions. And again, I do it really often. And that's when you really feel the benefit is when you do it regularly. And I just can't speak enough about it. I love it. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime and anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider. That's headspace.com slash Apple Insider for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. It's the best deal you can get right now. So headspace.com slash Apple Insider today. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this show as well. Now, some other leaks that came was Mark Gurman talking about the new Apple Watch rumors, talking about the Series 7, which that's like, you know, of course, Apple's going to do a new Apple Watch. It's going to be Series 7. It's going to be faster. They, he was saying that the glucose monitoring is probably not going to come this year. That would be a huge feature to come to Apple Watch, but he's saying probably not this year, maybe in 2022. And then he also said that that new rugged Apple Watch is something that could be coming soon. You know, that slight redesign that John Prosser had leaked with the square edges, again, might be coming. So looks cool. I know, Wes, you get like a new Apple Watch every year, right? That's a regular upgrade for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's in that less than $500 range of pricing, so it's less scary to buy every year. Yeah. These rumors, they're very familiar, aren't they? I I believe we heard pretty much every (laughs) single one of them for last year's Apple Watch. Wait, Bloomberg will be releasing a report here in the next two weeks about a kid's Apple Watch made of plastic. It'll it'll happen. Right, right. I mean, the new rugged Apple Watch, or, you know, I doubt Apple would actually call it rugged. I feel like they would call it, I don't know, like active, or I don't know what they would say, but rugged doesn't sound like an Apple-y word. Extreme. <laughs> the extreme that that seems like something Samsung would do, like the extreme <laughs> Galaxy Watch. But Pro Plus, I will say the aluminum model of Apple Watch. I typically go with the stainless steel or more, which is one of the reasons why I don't upgrade every year because I do find that there's a durability factor with the glass because there's still a difference with the aluminum has the ion X glass. It's hardened glass and it's it is durable. Right. But if you get the stainless steel, titanium, or other models, the higher end models. It has sapphire glass. And I still remember the first time I got my wife an Apple Watch, it was the aluminum version, and she cracked the screen like day one, hitting it on like a kitchen counter. I don't know how it, I don't know how it happened. Right. It was weird. But I, I exchanged it, and I was like, let's go with the sapphire stainless steel. And she did not scratch or break that ever. And so we, I've kind of been sticking with those for a while. You know, dangerous activities like talking with your hands <laughs> or being clumsy can lead to a cracked Apple Watch screen. Yes, right? it can. I, I've bought a stainless steel Apple Watch before, and it's, you know, slightly heavier. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed having it, and that's that sapphire. Sapphire glass is nice, but I didn't notice it. I mean, I'm not like a Apple Watch, like a heavy user. It's there. It gives me notifications. I've constantly, you know, it's it's like in the to-do list to be like, do more with Apple Watch. But, you know, it's it's just not something that I'm particularly uh, invested in time-wise. Maybe if Apple could give us a little bit more to do with it. Uh, I mean, isn't it wild that Apple's WWDC demos always just seem to be like, all right, well, I'm going to share this photo, write a paragraph and, you know, send GIFs and emojis. Yeah. All from my wrist. And I'm like, your phone's three inches away in your pocket. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. just don't feel like the watch is that kind of communication platform. It works in the, in a pinch, right. but it's just not 
a constant use case, I, I don't think. And I think for those who maybe work out outside or like to go hiking, like active people who are want to leave their phone behind for whatever reason, even if it's just going for a run around the neighborhood. Or levels deep in a backpack, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, it could be that too. You know, I, I totally get it for the family aspect. My son has an Apple Watch right. and an iPad, no iPhone. And he texts like crazy from the Apple Watch. He also has a a friend who is a girl, not a girlfriend, but you know, he's, he's getting there. And so he started texting her and, and he texts a ton. Like it would drive me crazy to text that much on an Apple watch, but the sheer will, you know, he's my, my niece and nephew have shown that if they have, if they have one of these things, that's all they'll ever do. Uh, just like with the share play feature, oh, right? yeah. some of these features, just they're not aimed at adult. It's something that, uh, you know, the younger generations will take advantage of, but you know, back to like upgrading every year, durability and stuff. Like I've, I've definitely pondered it. Like titanium is nice. And sometimes like the color choice, that they give on the uh, higher end watches. Like I do like the more matte black versions of the Apple watch when they yeah. do that. It, it's just, you know, 350 bucks can't beat it. And um, I've done cellular before too. Have you had, ever had a cellular Apple watch? I have. Well, all the stainless steel and higher models just come with cellular built in. Oh, so, that's right. That's right. You know, you can kind of include that I guess in the price or whatever, but, but I do, I do like the cellular and that, that's what makes the difference. You know, if you can go somewhere without your iPhone You know, I did a, a walk around a lake or whatever and cellular, yeah. you know, I was able to get a text and I was able to reply and that does feel nice, you know, to be able to do that with just the watch on your wrist, AirPods and nothing else, you know? Well, the, the one time I got to use the cellular Apple watch to its fullest capabilities is, uh, I was swimming in a lake and made a phone call from the lake asking if the hamburgers were done, but that's about, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, service on the Apple Apple Watch, you know, my son will definitely notice if we're out somewhere, his Apple Watch is only on cellular everywhere we go. And if there's ever poor service, like he's the first one to know it. And, you know, he'll tell me like, hey, I can't text from Apple Watch. I'm like, yeah, we're in a building and you're probably not going to be able to send anything. The ability to send gifts from the Apple Watch, he'll love that. You know, I'm sure that's a cool feature. But I don't know. I'm curious what they would do. Obviously, the glucose monitoring is a big deal. You know, when that finally comes to the Apple Watch, there's going to be a whole segment of people that jump on that, you know, because, again, that's that's huge. For sure. But other than that, like you're saying, it's hard to, to think what, what could they add that would make it really have to have it's six years old now and i mean the just like we saw with the operating system what really got updated during wwdc it got a few additional features but mostly because the other parts of the ecosystem got those features so it got included yeah and apple's constantly doing those small revisions like with communication on the watch and the share sheet being more widely spread but yeah it's it's just we're getting down to those little piecemeal updates rather than big major overhauls like i don't think apple's going to come out next year and do another redesign of watch os yeah. it's just you know what can they do to make the apple watch better and i mean some rumors now we're seeing what 5g uh new material options right. more child uh friendly pricing yeah all that stuff makes sense it's just nothing's going to be blockbuster like it was you know four or five years ago yeah and it was the ultra wideband the current model still does not have a u1 chip as far as i right. can recall so that'll be an obvious addition hopefully in the next one especially with find my most people i don't know and home key oh yeah the Home, uh, the home key house house key home key i, yeah. I think it's home key they were kind of unclear exactly like what it is called and andrew and i on on the next home kit insider we were trying to figure out like what details are actually out about it and there's not many there's not details about no. if it's nfc or ultra wideband or both and could functionality be added to a smart lock over the air in a firmware update or is it going to require additional hardware so we still got a ways to go about 
learning about home key, but in my head, I just have it as, you know, it should be cool new locks with NFC or uh, ultra wide band. It'll just be auto- very much automatic tap and go, but something like my August lock, I have the more re- like one generation ago, August lock. It's not the oldest one. I feel like something like that could still work. Like, you know, double click like you would for Apple pay and then authenticate right. from the, from the app that way and just have it beam over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. This doesn't have to be that complicated, but if Apple limits this to being just newer wireless connectivity like NFC or ultra wideband, it just feels like it's artificially limiting the feature when it could pretty much just work for anything like a segue from the home right. home kit to the key. It's just one step away rather than having right, to search right, through control sure. center or something. So we'll see there's some health updates too, that might come into play with Apple watch. But anyway, we'll put the link to that rumor in show notes and you can check it out with the redesign. So this next piece of news comes from leaker LeBron James, because he was actually the first one to be seen wearing these, but the beats studio buds officially launched their $150 with active noise cancellation and they launch June 24th or they'll be available June 24th. You know, this is just so interesting to me. I guess I understand why Apple is like keeping both of these brands, both the AirPods and the Beats. Beats is kind of, it has a lot of the AirPods features, ironically. Like I think these Beats Studio Pro, don't they have spatial audio as well? Am I right with that? There's no spatial audio because there's no gyroscopes. Right, okay. So does it have any of the Dolby Atmos features that AirPods do? This is what's annoying and very confusing. Apple, do they not have the book of terms? Uh, what the what is it called that they that they keep updated where they have all of their definitions of everything? Style guides. Style yeah, the Apple guide. Style Guide <laughs> has not been updated in like three years. And uh, so anyway, spatial audio I think has three different definitions by Apple right now. They refer to it as like a part of Dolby Atmos. So Apple will say that the Beat Studio Buds have spatial audio with Dolby Atmos. That's a distinction. It's all they're saying is is they're capable of producing Dolby Atmos. Okay. Now, spatial audio with head tracking, which is what we've always considered it, is a different feature that requires gyroscopes. So that's what makes this confusing. I got you. You don't get the head tracking, but you get Dolby Atmos. You get all the channels that that comes with, but you can't move through it. Okay, so weird. It's so confusing. Yeah, and it also has their their own chipsets. You know, they're not using the H1 or the W1. Well, I was going to say they're doing some trickery here because despite not having the H1 and W1 chips, they still get the cool pairing window. Right. And that kind of raises some questions because, yeah, it's the and they're they're also doing that for the Android pairing. Whatever, what, you know what that's called? No idea. Uh, no the, idea. It's Android fast, fast pair. Oh, it's, okay. it's the same thing as Apple's AirPods thing where you get a floating window to pair okay. with the uh, device. They're doing that on Android. Android with these with these headphones, which is cool. So obviously Apple's catering to that market, but also the animation still plays on the iPhone despite not having proprietary Apple chips. Mm. Uh, it's the Beats chip, yeah, so they could probably hide some of that in there. Right. But it does raise the question of can th- other third parties take advantage of this, and will Apple let them? Because that was part of Tiles' right. uh, argument for being uh, Apple being anti-competitive right. with AirTag because they get a special pairing feature. Yeah, that's interesting. So. I don't know. It's just so weird. I mean, they're cheaper, 150 bucks. Active noise canceling. They're cheaper for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You do get transparency mode, but I guess that's it. I'm curious, listeners, anyone out there, would you prefer or are you looking to buy the Beats Studio Buds as opposed to something like AirPods Pro? I guess if you want active noise canceling and transparency, but don't want to pay $200, you could save 50 and get these. I've seen... 
people say that uh, they prefer the Beats sound. Like there, there's a specific sound profile you. that goes with Beats. It's much more bass heavy. It's uh, coded more towards you know modern like rap music and stuff where there's a lot more synthetic noise. Uh, so people who like that will tend to gravitate towards Beats versus AirPods going a little bit more Bose route with the the more focus on like treble and gotcha. like whatever uh, mid mid tones and stuff. But yeah, the Beats Studio Buds though being 150, I believe it makes sense just because it's lacking a few bits of technology for Apple users. And that's why when the AirPods 3 launch eventually at like 169 or whatever it is, they'll be competitive and say, hey, you'll get more features if you're an Apple user. Right. Because one of the other things is these Beat Studio Buds don't work with your iCloud account. So there's no automatic switching with devices, you know. So with the AirPods, for better or worse, if you're listening on a device and then you pick up your iPhone and you play something that might have audio your airpods automatically switch which one of the videos i did recently was how to stop that how to turn off that setting on airpods and there's actually a lot of people who want to turn it off because i get it like sometimes it tries to be a little too anticipatory you know it tries to anticipate that you're wanting it to switch to another device too fast do you ever experience that yeah definitely uh, apple needs to bake in some granularity here into the software because app developers aren't going to do it yeah. twitter is one of the biggest aggressors if you're scrolling twitter and you pass a gif it'll take your audio right. like it doesn't even have to be an audio gif it doesn't have to be a video playing audio it just has to be a background animation and twitter will steal that if you scroll down like pull down on twitter or safari or something to refresh the page and you get that little ping noise that says hey you're refreshing the page it will steal the audio from your airpods like apple should recognize certain sounds don't need to be steal- especially if i'm listening to a podcast on my right. phone i don't need my ipad to suddenly switch over now this isn't always the case it seems to be getting better yeah and I, me personally i prefer having the auto switching on yeah but it is definitely an issue and developers aren't going to do anything about it so apple needs to do something for sure yeah And I think I've turned it off on like one of my Macs because I don't know, I rarely want to listen to something on my Mac unless it's a video. If I'm going to do a video on my Mac, I don't know, I just, uh, I'll listen to it a different way because I typically I'm listening to podcasts on my iPhone or I have my iPad and I'm going to watch something on there or do something on there. So I think I turned it off on my Mac and that helped a lot. It is nice, you know, when you do intend to listen to something on a different device and it switches quickly. And that has improved over the past year, like how quickly it does switch. And if it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to tell you. And there's also that notification. I think it's on the Mac and the iPad. I think it's, it comes up on all devices, but I see it a lot on there with a blue arrow. So if it switches to another device and you didn't intend for that, you can hit that back button and it'll go back to whatever device you're listening to. So I was going to say, I think uh, there's a, there's probably an easy fix here, actually, just thinking about it. You know, on the Apple, have you tried tvOS 15? I have not. No, I didn't run the beta yet. So if you have AirPods in or put some in while you're watching TV, uh, you'll get a notification on tvOS saying, there's AirPods nearby. Do you want to connect? That's cool. And you say yes. I think that all devices should adopt some kind of similar system. Like if you're on your iPhone and hit play on a video, but your AirPods are connected to the iPad, maybe have a pop-up say, Hey, you got AirPods in, you want to listen to this audio? Say yes or no. And like, give it a five second timer and let it go away. You know, that's a great, yes, that'd be a great feature. Rather than undoing a mistake, let me make the decision or have a toggle to, you know, pick one or the other, at least. No, that's a great point. That would be amazing. Apple, if anyone's out there listening, yeah. do, the, do that. That would be great. All right, a couple other pieces of news, and then I want to talk about iPadOS multitasking just a little more because 
I just, of course. you know, I just have, I have to do it. I have to do it. But anyway, uh, Mayo Clinic actually came out and said they're going to be supporting the Apple health records in the future iOS 15 betas. This was something that Apple announced at the keynote, and you'll be able to see some of those health records in the health app directly. And Mayo Clinic, that's a big name, you know, to be able to adopt something this quickly. And I really hope that a lot more, you know, health companies, labs adopt this. I've actually found, at least here in Central Florida, there's a company called Quest that does a lot of, you know, blood work and tests. And they have a pretty good online system for like making appointments and accessing your account. And it would just be great if enough companies adopt this where it's actually useful. And especially if you have testing done in multiple facilities or from multiple places, like to see it all in one place and get a little more information about what those results mean. I just think this is really cool. Paired with the feature that Apple announced at the keynote where you'll be able to share some of your health data that you choose what you want to share. And you can share that with family members in your iCloud family or even friends. You know, they didn't really make it clear if you could just send a request via email or phone number. But that ability to share certain records with loved ones, family, I think it's a really cool feature. And so I just hope a lot of companies get on board and support this kind of stuff. So pretty cool. You know, if you're a doctor or an insurance company, advertise that you take Apple Health. Like, yeah. seriously, I it, there's enough people out there that either if they don't know what it is and you say that, they'll be like, hmm, I have an iPhone. What's that? It's true. Or the nerds who really want it will come find you. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty healthy person generally, mm-hmm. or at least I'm I think I am. As far so as you know, I don't, yeah. I'm not at the doctor very much. Yeah, as far as I know, I don't go to the doctor enough for them to tell me there's anything wrong with me. So there's nothing. <laughs> I wrong think with that's me. how. Yeah, that's uh, how that works. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how that's absolutely. So like I, I remember uh right. right when I was getting out of the military, Apple announced that they were working with Veterans Affairs to get that medical data and Apple Health. And it happened and the like three or four medical appointments I had um getting out of the military uh all showed up in there and that was neat. And I got to see a little bit of information in Apple Health and then never again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just right. It's one of those things where if it works, it works. And I I just wonder what would a like I, I would love to hear like professionals opinions on this mm. like yeah sure we we get to hear from the colleges that run these super big uh, like research programs studies yeah, exactly. with all of this yeah apple health data but like what about joe down the street joe doctor you know saying hey come in with your apple health data does he care is it useful i mean I, i've always heard the story of like you know most doctors can teach you their job in a week because all they really do is tell you that their your elbow's not broken go home and take some advil you know do they really need all this apple health data you know who's using this we apologize to all medical professionals that's uh, i just <laughs> no i know I know, I know i know i know you're kidding <laughs> although you know i will say to your point of smaller facilities, smaller practice, you know, individual family doctors kind of thing. That's tough to have a good electronic or a good account system for an individual practice like that. You know, if you're not one of these big universities, Mayo Clinic or whatever, and you kind of have to do the best you can, you know, you have to hire a website person, a developer to create these online accounts. And because you're dealing with medical data, it has to be secure. It has to be private. You can't, you know, leaking and like all that stuff you have to watch out for. And I'll say some doctors that right. my family will use, they have online portals, but they are not great. You know, they're not super user friendly. Right. If you have to upload a document, like that can be a chore just to even figure out how to do that. And they have to send you special instructions like, well, click this first and do that. So if this is something that would actually help medical professionals who have a smaller practice, individual, like family doctor kind of thing, small staff, I'd be curious. Yeah. Would it, would it help them? Like, would it save that step of 
having to have a website with all that. You would need the two-way. You know, they would have to have some way where a patient could submit documents or send data back to the doctor. This is this is where my next idea comes in. Apple, go ahead and give me money for it. <laughs> Apple should build a doctor kit, kind of like school kit, where teachers, you know, in school have Apple provided software to work with classroom stuff, right? Nice. So maybe Apple should build something for doctors and let doctors go buy Macs for their practices and have, you know, end-to-end encrypted access to patient data submitted through the health app, biometric authentication, all that through Apple yeah. stuff that they already have like yeah, yeah. doctor kit or whatever doctor kit because like they already have a research kit they have health kit doctor kit i like it right all right well you get credit for that just like william will get credit for the apple car one day for calling it <laughs> now let's go to doctor kit all right let's take one more break and then wes and i are going to talk about some ipad os multitasking once again because you can't talk about it enough but this episode is brought to you by wondery they make incredible podcasts And this particular series is about Steve Jobs, called The Enlightenment of Steve Jobs. And from iPhone to Pixar, Steve Jobs led a career full of groundbreaking innovation. Of course, you know this Apple Insider listener. His road to Silicon Valley success was a rocky one, as you know, filled with failure, burned bridges. But from Wondery, a new season of Business Movers on their Business Movers podcast, you can learn how Steve Jobs took Apple from near disaster to total triumph. Steve Jobs liked to say a computer is a bicycle for our minds. He saw how bikes elevated our minds and bodies, and he thought computers could do the same for our brain. Jobs had a knack for seeing the big picture that a computer animated film like Toy Story could be the future of movies, or that a phone in your pockets could give us a universe of information at our fingertips. So from the makers of the hit series Business Wars comes the new season of Business Movers, a weekly podcast that explores the legendary and controversial career of Steve Jobs. I'll be honest, I started listening to this and I got hooked. I actually just listened to the episode talking about Steve Jobs looking to the future. And it's really about those last few years, this particular episode, those last few years of his life from the iPhone to the iPad, him announcing those products, but also his struggle with cancer during that time and what happened behind the scenes. Again, it's I love hearing about Steve Jobs and his work. They also have the podcast with him and Johnny Ive, and they talk about how they met and how they worked together. And so it's just a really fun podcast. I highly recommend. So you can listen to Business Movers, The Enlightenment of Steve Jobs on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. You'll find links to all those podcasts and Wondery in the show notes. Wondery, feel the story. Our thanks to Wondery for sponsoring this episode and Streak. So as a founder or business owner, you know what it's like to run your entire business from your inbox. You get emails all the time. Between sales, recruiting, and fundraising emails, things can get messy quickly. Streak is a CRM designed to help you stay on top of each part of your process and your inbox without ever leaving Gmail. Streak gives you tools for email tracking, mail merges, and snippets to save time and scale up your email efficiency. In just a few minutes, you can also set up pipelines right inside your inbox to start tracking your contacts and emails through each process. Streak helps you collaborate by sharing emails and pipelines with your team members, whether you work in an office, out in the field, or on a remote team. Pipelines are completely customizable so you can track processes and details specific to your business. Access your pipelines on desktop or the mobile app to add and share information in meetings, job sites, or however you work on the go. And I'll say I have 
a lot of experience with CRMs. In the past, I've done some sales, used the big CRMs, used some middle ones, and it's always annoying. You have to go back and forth because you're going to get emails. You have emails from clients and leads, then you have to input them in the CRM, and integrations can be flaky. But this, being able to use a CRM right in your Gmail inbox, it saves time, it works seamlessly, and again, I recommend. And you can sign up for Streak today at streak.com slash Apple Insider. That's S-T-R-E-A-K dot com slash Apple Insider and get 20% off your first year of their pro plan. It's the most popular option. And that's streak.com slash Apple Insider for 20% off their pro plan. Streak.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Streak for sponsoring this episode. Now, Wes, it's iPad time. It's the time of the show where you and I talk about multitasking on the iPad. So first of all, I, I downgraded from the beta. I put iOS 14.6 back up thing. So the the beta was actually pretty good. As betas go, it was relatively stable. You obviously notice battery life, you know, not the best. Battery can take a hit. There were some app crashes and some bugginess using the apps. Two things I was not crazy about. Safari, uh, it's going to take me a while to get used to the new Safari. And I'm really curious if they're going to tweak it. Now, you're, you're making a face over there. So what, what is your feeling on the new Safari in iPadOS 15? I don't hate it, but there are some pain points. Like, I've noticed when you go to, it, it, there's a lot of moving parts. And uh, one of the things with, like, app UI, the more th- something moves, the worse it can be for the user. Like, you, you tap on the address bar. Let's say you have five tabs open. And you tap on the address bar to type in a new address. It expands to take over the entire top of the page and pushes all the tabs aside. Mm. I and then like in order to get out of that, you have to exit a text entry, which is it, it's just yeah very clumsy. I think it feels like tab management's right very odd. There's a learning curve. Uh, earlier, I was playing around with creating a. A tab group for the podcast with all of our show show note links, <laughs> and it took me two tries to figure out how to do it. Once I did it, now now I know how. It's just again Apple hiding things behind menus and uh, right. confusing language and stuff. It's it's just I feel like uh, I mean a lot of people are upset over this. A lot of the nerds and sure Apple might revert some of it. I don't know. When was the last time they made a big feature change like this? I mean, the last time they changed Safari right. tabs and, and then had to revert it, right? Like, it doesn't seem like something they're going to change drastically, but it could get refined over the beta period for sure. So I think the biggest difference visually before tabs in Safari and the address bar were on different levels. You know, the address bar was up here. Tabs were underneath. Right. And... It took me a while to realize this was what was really different. But here, the address bar and tabs are all in line. They're all at the top of the screen. And this is going to be on the Mac and the iPad. You know, the tabs on the iPhone beta, that's cool. It's at the bottom of the screen. I don't think it's as big of a difference except for accessing certain commands, which is the other pain point in all the platforms in the new Safari. Share button is not right there on the screen. You know, if you had one password as an extension in Mac Safari, like that's not on screen. You have to click the three little dots in the address bar and then you see the other commands like share or whatever. So that and the tabs being in line, again, it's a visual thing. You could get used to it. I do find it's hard for me to, it was hard at least in the few times I tried it to figure out like where I am spatially amongst that row of tabs. Because especially if you have a lot of tabs open and this is probably why they want you to use tab groups. Yeah. You have a lot of tabs open. It's just kind of like this line of bubbles, you know, and you don't see a lot of information in each tab title, especially if you have a lot of them open. So navigating that was, 
I don't know. It was just weird. It's going to take me a while to get used to it. I feel like tab groups is the big feature here. I want to start using it. I've never been a big tab person. I don't yeah. keep a bunch of tabs open. As soon as I finish writing about something, I close it. I'm not saving it for posterity, you know? Um, <laughs> right. It, it's it's all like, and working from an iPad, that's just how it's always been for me. I guess I, I, I know my RAM's going to kick something eventually, so might as well close it. Right. Uh, but tab groups is cool just for it's it's just another version of bookmarks just more granular i guess saying instead of just opening this one window i can open these five windows whenever i yeah. want to and that's that's kind of nice cgp gray on the cortex podcast this was like one of the most features he was excited about you know he's he likes the focus features which i'm excited for that yeah. too being able to set up those different focus foci focuses i think it's foci yeah oh yeah i'm, I'm gonna go crazy yeah. with focus when i get them and i'm gonna just go nuts with that that's gonna be good i still need to listen to that episode tab groups is what he's all about though i guess when he said it when he's researching something yeah. you know he would love to be able to group a bunch of websites for research in a group and i totally get that right. feature and I, why that would someone would like that it's just a visual thing i don't know i'm not i'm not sold on it just yet it's like apple did the the mortal sin of doing two things you know they they did tab groups and changed right. the ui now if they did just tab groups we could probably you know that'd be awesome if they did just the ui we'd complain but probably figure it out but now we've you know it's a yeah. confounding issue you know you, that you're you're trying to learn a bunch of things at once it like i said Needs some refinement. I think Apple, they're getting plenty of feedback during this beta right. period, so um, should be fine. Yeah. The other buggy thing I was going to mention is widgets, I found some reason would not stay. Like stacks would become smart stacks and like auto rotate, whatever that is, like randomly. And so that those are, the, and those are bugs that'll be worked out. I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Before we uh, move on from Safari, I just wanted to bring up Apple seems to be moving on to new things uh, with right, extensions, right, right. right? You mentioned like the one password extension is broken right now. And I can't really speak for Mac OS too much, but right now an iPad and iPhone uh, tapping that, sh that share sheet, there's three sets of actions. That's always been there. The top row is share with people. The middle row was share with apps. And then below that is app interactions and shortcuts, right? It appears that Apple's killed the, put the share with people and share with apps actions into a share button mm. because that line below is going to become our extensions yeah. plus shortcuts. Oh. Okay. Uh, because uh, we don't we don't have the ability to test these yet, but here soon developers will be able to start implementing Safari extensions on all three platforms. Right. So I'll be able to get the one password extension on iPad, have it exist in that toolbar for good and be able to fully interact with the app as if I was yeah. on Mac OS, just like uh, same thing with one blocker. A lot of other apps are going to be doing this and I'll be at like a, what's his name? Simon, Simon Storving, Cryptable, that, that guy. Yeah. Simon Storving. He uh, was showing off something he could do in his code right now by basically creating an extension in Scriptable to change JavaScript in the web page, right? So he could toggle dark mode and light mode in web pages using a, a, a Safari extension on iPad. OS that was just really cool. So I feel like things are going to get really powerful there. Yeah. We we again like this fall is going to be the big thing for all the APIs to set into place. All right. So here's what I really want to discuss. So Federico Vitici, if you don't know him, he's over at Mac Stories. He's really like the the iPad guy. Like when someone wants to talk about who has been using iPad as their sole device or main device for a long time, really utilizing shortcuts, all that kind of stuff. Federico is the guy. You know, he he really does that. And so he had this this tweet. And I'll put the image as the chapter art. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see it there. But he said, how complex can iPadOS 15 multitasking really get? Here's split view, multiple windows in the shelf, an app and slide over, plus picture in picture for video and a floating quick note. 
have we approached desktop territory here? And then more in today's episode that he was on. So looking at this image, I get the argument. Federico is basically saying, everyone who's asking for complexity in iPad OS, look at this. You can have a ton of quote unquote windows and apps open and active. You could be watching a video, have multiple websites open, scrolling Twitter, doing the quick note, and it's all on the same screen, all on the iPad. Wow, doesn't this look like a Mac? I get the argument. A couple practical issues I have with it. You know, counting a picture-in-picture video, that's cool. The quick note is just Apple Notes. You know, you can't do that with Bear or any other note-taking app you have. Like, that's just Apple Notes. The shelf, which is like where you could see multiple windows of an app open at the bottom of the screen on the iPad, I used it in the beta, or I tried to use it as much as possible. I didn't find it to be incredibly user-friendly or useful as much. A lot of times I would find myself just going back to the app switcher to kind of see those windows bigger or just to access them or swipe them away. Cause that's the other thing I, can you, maybe you could tell me this, can you actually swipe windows away in that shelf by itself? Yeah. The shelf is essentially, did they call it app expose? It's, it's whatever that thing was in iPad OS 14 right. where you have five Safari windows open, tap the Safari icon and see all of them in one view. Right. Instead of it being in that separate view that looks like an app switcher, it's in the shelf now. And that's it. That's all right. that, that's all that is. And you get the ability to add a window from that. Right now. Can you swipe up though to dismiss? Yep. You, you can, you can interact with okay. them fully. Yeah. That's cool. It just disappears very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. So as I was thinking about this, I feel like the answer to iPad multitasking is not visual complexity. I tweeted about this and even said the way I use my Mac is not even how many windows can I fit on the screen and overlap and how complex can it look. The one feature I keep coming back to on the iPad, which is, again, I feel like just a big oversight to the power of the iPad and why can't it do it is plugging in some audio device like a USB microphone into that Thunderbolt 3 port and letting two apps access that microphone at the same time. I had Wes confirm it again in the beta of iPadOS 15. I've tried it on my iPad. If you try to have Skype on one side in split view and Ferrite or voice recorder on the other side, you can't use that microphone in both apps at the same time. As soon as you open that second app, one of them will give you an error that says, all this other one I've requested access to the mic. And so I can't use it. And so visually, whatever, you know, you could do complex stuff on the iPad. You can do complex stuff on the Mac. That's not how I function anyway. You know, I, I actually try to not have many overlapping windows when I work on the Mac. I like everything in its place or whatever, but that's all visual. The kind of multitasking issues that I'm trying to rise in the iPad OS 15 beta is the power side to be able to use a USB mic in multiple apps, to be able to maybe even capture video like we've been doing for this entire podcast. You know, Wes had to literally drag a Mac mini over to his desk so we could even do this because the iPad just doesn't let you do it. And again, that's not even a visual thing. You know, you could just have Skype in one half of the iPad and some video capture thing on the other side, and you'd be good to go. It's not that you need more visual complexity. You just need the iPad to be able to utilize those 16 gigabytes of RAM and that M1 chip, the same specs in my MacBook Pro that I'm using to run, you know, six different apps right now for recording. I got Audio Hijack, got Skype, Ecamm Live, all this stuff, and the iPad should be able to do it, and it doesn't have to be visually complex. Even if it's so much as, let me start an audio recording, and then swipe up to go home, 
but keep that audio recording going and maybe throw up a status in the top of the iPad in the status bar that lets me know that that app is still functioning. Because again, like right now, Audio Hijack has been recording for over an hour and I don't need to see that window. I don't really even have it visually on my desktop of my Mac right now. But every once in a while, I like to glance down, look at that timer and make sure that it's still rolling and that the record button is still red. And that's the only information I need from that app at any given moment while we're recording. The same thing with Skype. We started the call, but I'm using Ecamm to kind of switch back and forth. And so Skype is actually minimized in my dock. I don't need to see that either. All I've really been using is Ecamm Live and Notes and Safari, those three things. And yeah, the iPad could visually display those three things at the same time right now, but it doesn't have the utility or whatever you want to call it to be able to use hardware devices and peripherals and all this stuff that you could connect. You could do a Thunderbolt 3 dock. That's what I'm using right now with my Mac, but it just doesn't let you do those things with a pro quote unquote device. And I think that's the part about multitasking or whatever you want to call it on the iPad that still gets me that we didn't get that from WWDC. Yeah, it's all very confusing because I shouldn't have to drag my Mac Mini in here just to just because I want to use an external camera for video, an external mic for audio, and record all of these things separately. Right. There's no there's no reason. And the alternative is go spend six hundred dollars on an audio kit to record to an SD card. No, like just make it happen in software. Like what is it about iOS that prevents this? Is it is it security settings? Is there some kind of protocol that's been there since day one that they just have no control over that they can't implement now it's it's crazy to me um and it's weird because you're going to get feature like share play in ios 15 which is going to let you facetime with someone while it's syncing playback from disney plus or apple tv plus or whatever like it's doing complex operations think about the technology there you're in an end-to-end encrypted phone call and you're able to watch drm video over an airplay connection to an apple tv and i can't record audio from a phone call on an ipad like it yeah it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like I, I, I love working for my iPad. I can pretty much do everything I could possibly do on it. I don't want to use my Mac for anything. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's it's in here begrudgingly. <laughs> but uh, at at the end of the day, sometimes you just need those tools, yeah. uh, like doing this podcast. And it's just kind of weird to me that Apple's ignoring this market. I mean, all this focus on podcasts for their their side of things. Why can't we edit, publish, and record podcasts on the same device on an iPad? If they're if it's called iPad Pro, who's the pro right. for? I mean, other than hand drawing artists and uh, people who really like uh, typing on the Magic Keyboard, right. I don't know. I mean, I fall into that second category, right. but it, it is just kind of weird that um, Apple seems to be ignoring these low hanging fruit. Obviously, they're aware of these complaints. They they they're aware of a lot of the things that the tech writers out, are out here writing about, but there has to be some sort of limitation. Or they're just waiting for some sort of feature release or something that we just don't know about. And right. if it's the latter, just yeah. just get it out there. Like, and I understand Apple doesn't want the iPad to be a confusing device like the Mac can be for a segment of users. I totally get that. But also, they market the MacBook Air to university students and people, you know, and people manage to figure it out and use it. So, and I don't think you need visual or navigation complexity to add these features. And this is why when I saw this tweet, I was like, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a visual complexity or I want to be able to, I don't know, use like minority 
report style navigation on the iPad Pro. It's just these little things that I feel like could be added, hide it way down in the settings app. You know, you don't have to surface any of this stuff. You don't have to put it in control center. Just allow us to do some things in the settings because right now I'm using a bridge vertical dock with my MacBook Pro M1. Again, same specs as the iPad Pro. And when I come to this desk, I have a ton of stuff going on. I mean, I have an LG Ultrafine display. I have my audio interface. I have external hard drives. I have this camera going into Ecamm capture device. I have a ton of stuff going on. And all of it connects when I drop that MacBook Pro in the bridge vertical dock because that Thunderbolt port, two Thunderbolt ports, allows me to connect to all of this. And if I could do a, vi a bridge vertical dock with an iPad Pro, where I can have the same exact desk setup, but rather than drop a MacBook Pro, drop my iPad Pro in that and be able to do what I'm doing now to capture video, to record the audio, do the Skype call all at the same time, then the iPad Pro could really be that Pro creation device. Right now, as we speak, after I get off this call, all the editing that I do and the publishing, putting it up in our podcast host and all that kind of stuff, I do it on the iPad. Every other step of the process from the podcast creation standpoint, I do on the iPad. It's just this moment in the production side where you need all these peripherals and stuff that it just doesn't let you utilize them like they do on the Mac. Again, not asking for Mac OS, not asking for visual complexity, just the ability to use some of this stuff like I do on my Mac, and it would really make it that pro device. Well, Federico clarified in the latest episode of Connected that he put that tweet out as a litmus test. He didn't want to pick a side. He just wanted to see how people reacted and kind of got the reaction he expected. I have reacted. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I quoted it too. And it's just like, hey, look at this. For me personally, looking at it, it's it's not that I want more complexity or even less complexity. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with iPad multitasking. I'm glad now that we have a more uh, clear and obvious yeah. system around selecting windows and stuff. That's great. On top of that complexity, like, yeah, no one's ever going to do that. No one's going to have a quick note open in a slide over window and split screen. And you know, it, it's, it's silly, but Apple should give developers a little bit more control. Like imagine if bear could access yeah. that uh, quick note feature, or imagine if a music player like Spotify or Apple music could access that picture in picture thing. Yeah. 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 You know, Apple has the tools here and a lot of control already. It's just, they're missing the connection points. And for whatever reason, Apple's very hard on their stance of, uh, we don't want to connect these things too well because it'll be too complex for our users. And I don't, I don't think that's true. Just like you said, hide the more complex things right. and settings, but you know, don't make it easy to break the system either. It can't be that complicated. Obviously I'm not a developer, but there's just something about this that again, like I said, just seems strange and you know as often as these guys are interviewed like craig figure federighi is interviewed and talked to by all these tech nerds and they never really ask the like they ask about ipad multitasking and stuff but they always hunt around the question by saying well yes but we also see the ipad as not the mac and it's suited for these things well what why did you choose art you know, creation over podcasting, you know, what, what decision-making is going into here? Like, is it really just five of us on Twitter complaining about not being able to podcast from an iPad and no one else would ever do it? It, it doesn't seem like that's the logical conclusion here. I agree. All right. Well, slash rant over. I hope that's not a rant. You know, it's really just, <laughs> I'm passionate about the iPad. I love the iPad. I, I love my M1 iPad Pro. Yeah. And I feel like these, I think small changes, you know, I'm not asking for changes that don't exist on the Mac or elsewhere in their ecosystem. It's just bringing these 
this functionality and these pieces to the iPad. So anyway, I'll, I'll clarify and say like, I've been working from iPad OS 15 for the past week. I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Like it's, it's good updates, uh, good stability so far. Like it can only get better from here and developers are going to be making apps that take advantage of a lot of the new technologies in the fall. Again, like I said before WWDC, there's like three or four things that I want that seem to be on the cusp of occurring. It's just, we're waiting right. on something. Is Apple going to release a new monitor to give us external monitor support then? Like, are they saving the software announcement for the hardware? Uh, likewise with podcasting, are they waiting for this podcast stuff to get underway properly before they come out on stage and say, oh, by the way, you can control recording features? Because again, stuff like this has been turned on in the middle of a beta period before. It doesn't have to be announced at WWDC. Right. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I, I'm not even putting it on a wish list. I'm just saying stuff like features like this, like the keyboard curse and, and the cursors and the, the external storage support, stuff like that has happened before without you know major fanfare on, on a stage. Yeah. Just, you know, if, if there's Apple engineers working on this, I wouldn't give up hope on iPad OS. Like I, I understand Neil, like, uh, like I, I enjoyed y'all's conversation last week about the iPad and everything. And I understand Neil's position on this and how he, and how he feels. Cause I feel the same way about a lot of it, but at the end of the day, it does what it does. I get my job done on it. It's my first and primary device. Yeah. And at this point, I think Apple's looking at that and saying, yeah, we're okay. And that kind of sucks. I'm not excited about that. Don't get lazy, Apple. That's all I'm yes. saying. All right. Well, that's a good place to end it. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Let us know. What's your feeling about iPad OS? this multitasking, all that they were talking about? You can tweet at myself and Wes. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Also, if you haven't yet, we would appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. There's been a number of you doing that recently, and we really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can support the show. $5 a month, you can get an ad-free episode and get early access. You can do that at patreon.com slash appleinsider. Or if you use the Apple Podcasts app, you can now do it right there in the podcast app. And we actually do have a free trial too. So you can listen to a couple ad-free episodes and see what you think of that and then sign up. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. Andrew O'Hara and myself talk about all the HomeKit and smart home stuff. That comes out every Monday. And Apple Insider Daily, you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes, Monday through Friday. You'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes. Once again, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.